Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome in the latest episode of Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network. You can also find us every day on Dash Radio. That's the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Pacific. Also, check out FiveReasonsSports.com. Spell it out. We'll be talking a lot about an article that was posted there today. Everything there is free, so come check it out. You don't have to go behind a paywall like you would for any of the other local sites. We've also got the takeaways from Brady Hawk. He's putting them up after every press conference, after every heat game. Also, you can find all the rest of our podcasts, including Three Yards Per Carry, Five Rings, Canes, Light Skinned Opinions, Balls Cast, and more, and our YouTube channel. Plenty of new YouTube shows are going up. Um, we've got one with Kylie Wang is going to be going up here pretty soon. And we've obviously got the Loaded Bases show, 90 Minutes Strong, and all the stuff we do with Five on the Floor, which is our Floor's Yours show on Thursday and our live streams. Also, check out all the great sponsors in the Five Reasons Sports Network. Now, one of these sponsors I'm very familiar with because I actually appeared on their podcast uh, about a month ago. You can still check out that episode. It's basically me gabbing for about an hour and a half. Um, but it's great stuff with Will Weintraub when I'm not on. Okay, so I'll put it that way. This is the Lessons Via Leaders podcast, which is a weekly show where they interview a new entrepreneur, founder, or thought leader every single week. Many of the guests, of course, not myself, are local leaders here in South Florida that built huge businesses, I wish, and fostered large communities and movements. Not there yet. Each show features a new guest that shares with the audience valuable lessons and learnings that they've amassed over their careers. Their shows can be found everywhere you can pretty much find five on the floor. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to your podcast, Podbean, all of them. They also have a video version of every episode that they post on YouTube. So check it out. It's the Lessons Via Leaders show. And again, I can tell you they do a really, really thorough job and it's really interesting material. Will's been on our pod here and uh, is a really bright thinker. So check it out. Lessons Via Leaders. And now today's episode. Welcome to Five on the Floor, a Miami Heat and NBA podcast from Ethan Skolnick with Alvon Sydney, a.k.a. Alf954. Brought to you by the Five Reasons Sports Network. All right, Ethan Skolnick back on Five on the Floor. Here's today's floor plan. We're in between Game 1 and Game 2 of the first round excuse me, of the Eastern Conference playoffs for the Miami Heat and the Indiana Pacers. The Heat won game one, 113 to 101, pulled away late behind Goran Dragic and Jimmy Butler. Goran woke up with some coffee today, although it didn't look like the big face coffee that Jimmy's uh, selling for 20 bucks in the bubble. Jimmy was great. Bam was pretty damn good. Duncan Robinson really didn't get going, but they didn't need him because they got enough contributions from Tyler Hero, Dragic, and others. But today... We're talking about a story that was on the site today. Nikias Duncan, and uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to push this too far, but uh, you know, Nikias should be working for a major, major outlet at this point. Uh, we're fortunate that he's still producing content for us. We're not major yet. I, I mean, give me time, man. But I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm not. I there think yet. we're better than Bleacher Report at this point. But well, that's, I'm just biased. Not. And I worked there for two years. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say that we're we're getting there. Um. But uh, but Nikias should 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 obviously be working for some of the major outlets. But but 
you know, I'm just going to say it. His content is too smart for some of them uh, with some of the garbage that we're seeing in terms of the coverage of the NBA. But the article is how Eric Spolster transformed the Heat's offense. And so we dropped it today on an off day. But I think it applies because we saw a lot of this stuff in game one of this series against Indiana. I've also got Alphonse Sidney. Takes more of an eye test approach to this stuff. Nikias uh, breaking down some of the numbers and, and, uh, and some of the, you know, the you know, Spolstra scheme and, and the sets and the things that are being run here. Talk to me first, Nikias, for people who haven't read it, and you should read it. Again, it's at fivereasonsports.com. The premise of the article and kind of when you started to put it together. Um, the premise of the article is trying to figure out how this Heat team got as good as it did. Um, anyone that's followed the Heat for a while knows that they are a defense-first organization. They like to muck up games, um, kind of make those make their opponents feel it, slow it down, grind it out type deal, especially since um, since 2014 when LeBron left. They kind of had to go to more of a slower approach. And this year, um, I like you, kind of anticipated that the Heat were going to be a top-four seed this year. But I thought that it was going to be because their defense was going to be fantastic and their offense was going to be good enough. But this year, the offense has been top 10 all year long. They end up settling in at seventh in offensive rating this year. So just trying to get gain some further insight into what went into this team kind of overachieving, especially on the offensive end. So that's kind of where it started. Uh, most of my research, or at least in terms of like quotes and stuff, came with that Heat-Lakers game that went down to the wire. Um, that's where I got a lot of the content that's featured in the piece. Um, Myers Leonard was – a godsend for me. Um, me and Alf, actually, we talked to him post-game, and he basically just gave us 15 minutes of incredible stories, um, kind of broke down the differences between Miami's offense and the offense he came from in Portland, um, differences between Terry Stotts and Spoh's personalities and his coaches. So I just wanted to kind of build off of that throughout the year. Um, obviously paid attention to how Miami played, kind of kept track of some of their numbers, um, the way that Spoke empowered Bam Adebayo through in the elbow, something that I didn't see coming. I figured he would get more touches with Hassan Whiteside not there, but the way they used him was unique. Um, the way they empowered Duncan Robinson, who came off of a shaky rookie campaign, even though it came in a limited sample, kind of unleashed him as a shooter, um, unleashed Kendrick Nunn kind of as a pick-and-roll ball handler. Goran Dragic settled in as a um, second-unit guy, and they just got a little bit of something from everyone on that roster and kind of reconfigured some things. So I thought that was a really interesting thing to track this year. You had a quote here that I want to bring Alf in, uh, which, which isn't specific to the Heat offense, but it was from Jimmy Butler. And uh, Tib- he was he's comparing Spolster to Tom Thibodeau. And he said, basically, he said, uh, Tibbs looks like he'd cuss you out in a heartbeat. Brett Brown doesn't look like that. He looked like a really nice guy. Spo looks like a really nice guy, right? He'd cuss your, he'll cuss your ass out so quick. When did you get that quote? That was um, – it was after a practice before – I think the day before Heat Lakers. Um, okay. uh, ended up being the last question of that practice room. Okay, because that's uh, – I mean, Jimmy had some good answers this year. Um, that's one of the better answers that he had <laughs> uh, uh, related, <laughs> related to Spo. Uh, and I, I do know, and I've told this many times on Five on the Floor, that Jimmy sort of set about to test Spo for the first week of camp and basically went back to people in his circle and said, okay, I'm done. Um, he's the best coach I've had, and I'm going to go along for the ride now. That, that it took him about a week to recognize that. We know uh, from history that it took LeBron about a year and a half. Uh, there, were, there was a famous mm-hmm. conversation that I've reported that occurred in the 2011-2012 season where LeBron and Spo sat down, and Spo said, finally, are you going to let me coach you? 
and and we, we saw a lot of stuff kind of transform itself at that point. All right, well, let, let's get to some of the specifics of the article here first. And, and um, you know, Alf, I want to bring you in here in a second. What struck you the most from from kind of what Nikias was describing here before we get into some of the specifics of what Eric put in this season? Um, just overall, the buy-in that he has from the guys. Like, we always know – we, you always hear it. You know, you hear about it, and I think this was like uh, my first year in the locker room. And I know Nakayas, you've got more access to locker rooms this year than maybe in, in previous years. I, I I felt it this year, right? <laughs> when you when you would mm-hmm. hear these guys speak after Spo spoke, or it, it sounded like they were just mirroring each other, especially Jimmy and Spo. It, it you know you started to see it with LeBron sometimes. You you start hearing the Spoisms, but I've never seen it to this extent. To the point that Spo is starting to sound like Jimmy, <laughs> like right, like <laughs> he started to be way more intense than. And some of the beat writers pointed this out that before the Big Three era, uh, Spolstra was very unplugged in in mm-hmm. press conferences. I think we've mm-hmm. seen a more uh, refined Spo because the national media attention came down during the LeBron years. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I've never. I feel like I've never seen Spo this comfortable. And I think Jimmy, I think he's feeding off of Jimmy's energy too, which is, which is something I've never seen from him. You know, what's interesting about that is it reminds me of Riley and Zoe. The, the same exact thing happened. Uh, Zoe would parrot everything that Pat said. I mean, he had this phrase, adversity introduces a man to himself, which was a Pat phrase. And then Spo started using it religiously. But then I started to notice over time that Pat started to sound like Zoe. <laughs> Uh, I, I do think there's a kinship between uh, coach and player that have similar type personalities. It happened a little bit with Brady and Belichick. It's happened with others. Uh, but it, it, a lot of people have said this. Jimmy is the most Spo-like player they've ever had. Um, he may have brought Spolster out of his shell a little bit, but, but Jimmy sort of embodies everything that it is that Eric's tried to get across. And, and I think the one thing that, that connected with Jimmy was I remember Spo when Spo sat down Alf with us at uh, Media Day, and he was talking a lot about unlocking Jimmy as a playmaker, and that that was the part of his game that surprised him the most, but that he wanted to build on that. And, and I I do think in talking to people around Jimmy that that built a certain level of trust that Spolster recognized that that Jimmy had that ability. So let's let's start there. Let, let's start there, Nikias, with Jimmy, because I, I know you talked a little bit in the piece about the acquisition of Myers. I know Myers isn't really playing right now, but he was a big factor during the season and kind of, you know, having that stretch big at the five and playing a little bit differently. Um, but a lot of this started with with putting the ball in Jimmy's hands. So how much of the Heat's offense was constructed around his skill set? Um, I think a lot of it was um, kind of fashioned after the playmaking, as you mentioned. Um, Jimmy has basically played point forward this year which is a little bit different than what he's done in Minnesota. He was more score first. Um, he was obviously a little bit more score first, score first in Chicago. Even when he was playing off Derrick Rose, he was kind of a play finisher, more so than a guy that kept the chain moving there. And then when Rose went down, he obviously assumed more of that scoring responsibility. So I think the Heat have done a great job of giving him, um, just putting the ball in his hands and letting him make plays. Um, I mentioned in the piece, that um, they have ran more pick and rolls this year than they did last year. Largest share of the offense came there. Um, they used more of like that double, a lot of the double drag stuff with two bigs, um, get, help get guys downhill. That helps with them having such a versatile front court. They have Bam that can roll and kind of make plays off a short roll. They have Kelly Olenek and Myers Leonard that can both kind of space out. 
Myers can do a lot of short roll passing too. So when you combine both of those guys, you have one guy popping, one guy rolling. It just makes it a little bit easier for Jimmy to put defenses in the bind because he can get downhill and get to the free throw line basically whenever he wants to. Um, he has the touch to hit guys on lobs. He has great pick roll chemistry with Bam. Um, can obviously make those kick out passes to the popping big. That's why Myers Leonard was so effective in the starting lineup, just getting those um, opportunities against bigs that don't want to come out there and chase them. Um, Kelly Olenek, kind of the same ordeal. He'll pop out to the three-point line. If they don't close out, he's firing. If they do, he can kind of pump and go and get cheap free throws, can make passes. So just giving the, giving Jimmy Butler more options at his disposal, um, having more shooting around him than he's ever had, um, I think that helped unlock that part of his game. Who is the most important? I mentioned how important Jimmy is, and you got into it. Who is more important um, to the way that their offense operates at this point? Is it Bam or is it Jimmy? I think it's Jimmy just because Jimmy has shown more that he can create something out of nothing than Bam has. I think that's more of an aggression type thing with Bam more so in skill base because he has he's a good ball handler for a big. He obviously has a quick first step. He just kind of burned Miles Turner with drops that, with those jab and goes um, multiple times in game one against Indy. So he can do that. He's obviously getting a little bit more comfortable taking those mid-range jumpers when guys sag off of him. He can flow into those dribble handoffs that they continue to sag off of him. So he's a valuable offensive piece. But just in terms of the individual creation, it's still Jimmy because he can get to the free throw line as often and as easily as he can. In addition to being a great finisher on top of that, Bam still misses a couple of bunnies at the rim a game. So I think it's still Jimmy in that regard. Nikias, a lot of your story was talking about um, what Myers does in the offense, also what Kelly does. What is the difference that you see now with Jay Crowder in the starting lineup? Um, is that – to me, I, I, I completely understand. I know they're giving up some defensive rebounding, but the fact that Jay Crowder is a more willing shooter – opens things up more for Jimmy and Bam, especially the fact that neither of those guys really spread the floor in that way. Mm-hmm. Is it? Is it? Do you think it's an improvement on the starting lineup? What's the differences? What do you see there? I think it's a slight improvement. The starting lineup has been very good since they kind of switched, shifted to that smaller lineup. And it just kind of comes down to volume when it comes to Myers and Jay Crowder. Myers Leonard is a better shooter than Jay Crowder. Um, he has been throughout his career, even though the volume just kind of hasn't been there for Myers. But um, teams treat Myers Leonard like that kind of a threat. So I think adding Jay Crowder in there, he's not treated as the level of threat that Myers Leonard is, but he takes so many threes that you kind of have to account for him. And as you said, having him out there spacing and shooting when necessary kind of helps open up the floor a little bit more for Bam and for Jimmy Butler to get downhill. Another thing I saw the other day that and, – and I don't know if <laughs> I'm a popping an eye test uh, imaging here um, – I did not like the lineups where the Heat went with no bigs. Um, I think what happens is I think Derrick Jones Jr., who didn't play poorly, he got exposed. He was a minus 11 in the last game. And I think it's because he, at a lot, at a lot of those times, he was playing power forward or center <laughs> in, in some of those minutes. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think of those lineups? Can the Heat afford extensive minutes of lineups where there's no Kelly, no Bam, or no Leonard on the floor? Uh I don't think so. Uh, I wasn't a fan of that lineup either. I think it makes sense for Derek individually just because he is, I mean, he's such a non-shooter and he's treated as a non-shooter. 
So you kind of need him screening and rolling to the basket to where he can catch just by anything that's thrown in his vicinity. So I think it helps him to have basically four shooters and operate as the center there. But he's not a great screener, so it doesn't create the same kind of pockets to create those two-on-one opportunities. So if he's not connecting there, then that's kind of limiting the lob opportunities. And then if you're limiting the lob opportunities, if he spaces out to the corner or out to the wing, depending on what else is happening, teams are just kind of collapsing in the paint. And then on the other end of the floor, then you're asking him to guard bigger players. Didn't necessarily happen in game one because Spo did a good job of kind of matching those minutes with Jakar Sampson, and they're around the same size. But I think in general, I don't think that he can really afford to go to that kind of lineup. And it kind of goes into the heat or Spo specifically being um, comfortable with going with lineups with no Jimmy and no Bam at the same time. Um, that's also a thing that I haven't really liked, though – um, looking at the numbers yesterday, they're basically even in those minutes um, in terms of net rating. So I guess, I mean, they survived those minutes, which buys them time to kind of get back in the game late. Um, that's what happened in the fourth quarter. Um, Indy went on a little run to start the fourth quarter. By the time Bam and Jimmy come back in, Indy hadn't made enough um, headway in that lead. And then Jimmy luckily. just had all kinds of energy to close things <laughs> Luckily, because yeah. I didn't like it either. I was, I was like, okay, uh, you know, you're sitting there like, okay, when are they coming back in? When are they coming back in? <laughs> <laughs> and I, just, I, I, me and you were tweeting the same things at the same time. We we're just like, okay, all right, enough. I understand he wants them both there for the, the stretch, uh, you know, the, the closing minutes. And mm-hmm. listen, I'm not what I, I said it on Twitter yesterday. I can, I can complain. Or I have my opinions, but I don't have complaints because I'm an old fat guy and Spolster's a championship coach. So, like, <laughs> there's no, like, take everything. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Thing I say or tweet with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just didn't. I, 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 sometimes I look at I think he, he stays away from it a little bit too long and rides some of these lineups that give you a quick punch but just can't sustain that momentum for a long period. Yeah, I mean, I think that we've, we've seen that before with Eric. Sometimes he gets fixated on a particular group, but he, he also traditionally has wanted to make sure that he has whoever his two best players are on the floor for the last six, right? And, and I, I think a lot of coaches are like that, so that's, that's not that unusual. I, I think one of the concerns I've had with him uh, without sort of getting too far off track here is the way he's used Goron at times, which is when he was coming off the bench, he would bring him in with about four minutes left in the third quarter and then not take him out. <laughs> and it was like, you, you'd get to this point where it's like, wait, Goron's been out there for like 16 consecutive minutes and he's starting to turn the ball over and other things are happening before he gets his second wind. So yeah, there are some rotation issues, but I, I think what we've seen in game one is that Eric Spolster is most comf- comfortable with a nine-man rotation. That's what he's going mm-hmm. to right now. And that's why, that the two starters that were very important to what they did offensively in particular early in the season, uh, none and, and Myers Leonard are not even in there. Um, so let's get to, to that real quick here, Nikai's because I really want to focus a lot on Duncan Robinson. Cause I feel like what they unlocked with Duncan this year, what he unlocked with Duncan has changed things dramatically from an offensive perspective. And you've touched on that as well here. Um, but the Kendrick Nunn factor, how does that change their offense because he was kind of a bailout guy for them a lot this season and, and really didn't go like two or three games 
without giving you close to 20 um, when there were other times when there were guys that times that other guys were not producing, how does it change their offense to not have Kendrick Nunn? Um, I don't think, at least in the start lineup, I don't think they miss him super much because the three point volume that you were getting with him, you're getting that and a little bit more with Jay Crowder being swapped in. And if Jimmy is more willing to take those pull up jumpers, um, they could be elbow jumpers. They could be the three pointers that we saw in the fourth quarter in game one. If he's more willing to take those at the end of the clock, in addition to what he's already doing as a driving into the free throw line, I don't think they miss him that much because he wasn't adding much as a passer anyway. So it was really just the pull-up shooting and kind of the late clock scoring. And I think you can get, you get the combination of that with Jimmy being more willing to pull and with Jay Crowder being as willing to pull as he is. All right. So let's get to the Duncan Robinson factor here. And then after the break, we're going to get into you know, some predictions for game two. Eric Spolscher talked about Duncan Robinson being one of the best shooters on the planet before Duncan Robinson was making any threes in the NBA. So he clearly saw something. It reminds me of when Mark Jackson used to say that, uh, you know, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson were going to be the best shooting backcourt ever. And at that point, you're like looking at him like, what? And <laughs> it, it happened. Uh, how, I mean, how has this happened with Duncan Robinson, I guess? I mean, I, I mean, to, to go from a guy who was, G leaguer. Uh, we weren't even talking about him much in summer league. We were talking more about Tyler here on Kendrick Nunn to someone who really has been, I mean, the guys, there's no other way to look at it. He's been by all the numbers, their most important offensive player, right? Like when he plays, mm-hmm. they're the best offensive team in the league. And when he doesn't, they're middle of the pack. Right. So, I mean, it goes back to, it really goes back to the summer with Duncan Robinson. And as you mentioned, like he fell under the radar because Kendrick Nunn came out of nowhere. He's averaging 25 and he makes the all, summer league first team or whatever it was. And then Tyler Hero had a little bit of an up and down summer, but his flashes were very loud. Um, a lot of step backs, some nice crossovers, some nice passes. So you kind of knew that's where the excitement went with those two. Just seeing, okay, what kind of role is Kendrick Nunn going to have? Um, nobody anticipated that he was going to be a starter. It was more so, hey, the Heat have found like a, a nice eighth man out of nowhere that's cool he ends up being a starter and ends up being a finalist for rookie of the year um Tyler Hero obviously has had his high moments this year too um what happened in that summer is that Duncan Robinson came back a little bit bigger um and he can't he looked a lot more comfortable with the ball in his hands he wasn't making advanced reads out of pick and roll but he was making quicker decisions when they did put him in those situations and you saw him kind of unlock a little bit of that pull up three game that nobody saw from him Devin didn't see from him last year in that small sample where he shot like 28 percent from three but he just looked more comfortable making decisions with the ball. And that combined with his with um, him adding more strength made him a better finisher when he did get to the rack. So it, there were some signs there. Um, and then the quote comes out during training camp where supposed like he's one of the best shooters in the planet. He just have to prove it. And I remember quoting that tweet from when it came out. And I was like, uh, is this coach speak? Is this did he just have a really good practice that day or what, what is he seeing? Cause that's not anything that we saw last year, even after the good summer league showing, I'm not sure if that's necessarily true, but sure enough, Duncan Robinson puts together the best three point shooting season in heat history, the most prolific three point shooting season for an undrafted rookie in NBA history, just a high volume threat everywhere. Um, the two man game with him and Bam out bio has been the most effective dribble handoff pairing in the NBA. And, I mean, it's, it's you can't really overstate just how good he's been at shooting. From a standstill, uncontested, contested, flying off those dribble handoffs, relocating after driving kicks, he's done it all. 
and you've you mentioned it a little bit earlier, like the Heat have the best offensive rating in basketball in those minutes that that dunk on the floor, and they drop quite a bit when he's not there. He just unlocks so much. Um, he's gone. He's grown as a passer in those dribble handoff situations. That's made them more dangerous and put Bam more in those short roll situations. That just unlock a lot of drive and kick situations there. Um, but he he's been a godsend for the offense. But it's one thing to say that a guy got a lot better in the off season, and it's another thing for a coach to basically change his offense to accommodate a player in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so take us through that a little bit, just from a strategic standpoint like was there a point in the year where they started running more and more stuff because they had this weapon that no one thought that they had um i think it came pretty early because at the very beginning of the season duncan wasn't starting yet uh, he was just kind of coming in and out of the start lineup because jimmy butler wasn't there yet but as the season went on his three-point attempts went up three-point percentage also went up you started seeing more dribble handoffs um especially early in the clock bam grab a defensive rebound push it he's looking for duncan or somebody else grabs the board, you have Duncan kind of flying from the ring, fly in from the wing, and then have Bam set up, set one of those step-up screens, and he just flows into one of those pull-up threes in semi-transition. And they've getting, gotten a lot of mileage out of that in particular. And, again, like just, at, just in half court, they basically base everything out of between Bam and Duncan Robinson. If it's not a basic dribble handoff, it's dumping the ball to Bam out of body on the elbow, and then they go into the screening action that we kind of saw in Golden State when Steph was healthy. So they drop it into Draymond Green. Steph was screen for Clay. Clay was screen for Steph. You have one guy dive, one guy kind of far out, and then you have another guy set a screen for that guy. And the Heat just kind of kept building things off of that, and it's just made Duncan Robinson one of the most dangerous bas- dangerous weapons in basketball. It's amazing. I, I don't know that we've ever seen a guy come out of nowhere. I mean, we've seen guys come out of nowhere and be important players for their team, but to be – like become the fulcrum of what essentially, like we said, is a number one offense in the league when a, a year ago <laughs> Heat fans were like, is he still on the roster? Uh, is, <laughs> is pretty remarkable. All right, we're going to get into some predictions for Indiana. Again, check out the story on FiveReasonSports.com. I want to tell you, though, about one of our great sponsors, Gonzalez and Tybor. You can find them at BankruptcyIsGoodForYou.com. That's right, BankruptcyIsGoodForYou.com. A recent report showed that over 45% of people use their whole stimulus checks to repay debt. This is money that could have and should have gone to cover living expenses. Even before the pandemic, household debt in this country, especially credit card debt, was going up and was hurting families and small businesses. Nobody likes to consider bankruptcy as an option for dealing with your debt, but bankruptcy is one of the few laws that exists to actually help consumers. So before you make another debt payment that you can't afford or you do something drastic like empty out your 401k or borrow money from friends and family that you don't want to ruin those relationships, why don't you talk to a professional about your options? Contact Gonzalez and Tybor. Again, it's bankruptcyisgoodforyou.com. The phone number is 954-378-8184. And attorney will answer your call. Again, it's 954-378-8184. Consultations are always free. And yes, they can be done by either telephone or video conference. This is a local law firm. They've helped hundreds of clients get the fresh start that they deserve. Bankruptcyisgoodforyou.com, 954-378-8184. Okay, in the limited time that we have left, guys, game one into game two. We, Alf, you and I discussed this a lot, uh, obviously, after game one, but we didn't have Nikias on. Uh, so I'll, I'll let you start this, Alf. Um, you noticed some things in the game. We've already talked about kind of the no big lineup 
Uh, was there anything in there that you spotted in, in game one that maybe, you know, you're concerned about for game two that Nikaias can shed some light on here? Um, the, the, the Pacers, uh, guards, um, the guys that we kind of talked about being RSH, RSHKs, random scrub heat killers, penetrating, getting into the lane, you know, kind of just having their way in the paint against the heat, which admittedly they have a very small lineup, even when they do have one of their quote unquote bigs out there. Um, they're not playing two bigs at any point. Uh, I, I guess you're seeing a couple minutes of, of Olenek and Bam overlapping, but it's not as much as it used to be. How do they stop that from happening going forward, especially when we've talked over and over again about the lack of um, uh, point of attack defense? And, you know, you, you kind of guys, got guys scrambling on the back end half the time. Um, I would say they could kind of mix up their coverage just a little bit. Um, we did see a handful of possessions where the Heat went away from their switch and they kind of went back to their traditional drop defense. And Malcolm Broughton got back-to-back pull-up elbow jumpers, um, missed the first one, cashed the second one. Um, Malcolm Broughton, of course, is coming off of a 50-40-90 season um, in his last year with the Bucks. Didn't and pretty much almost replicated that this year after with a really hot start. So I think you can kind of afford to go with drop coverage if Aaron Holiday is involved in the action. If you can have a guy at the rim still, you don't want to um, to get a switch and kind of get to the rim, kind of force rotation. So I think you run a little bit, run a little bit more drop against those pick and rolls. And if um, he just kind of clears out and goes ISO, you, you help when you can because Indy doesn't have a bevy of real shooters that you worry about outside of Doug McDermott, who really didn't play much in game one. So I think you do that. Um, other than that, you just kind of contest the best that you can. Um, that was kind of my issue with Goran Dragic being a starter, um, possibly having those minutes overlap with Aaron Holiday, who was the quicker, a quicker guard. But um, other than that, you just kind of live with it, I think. They didn't burn them enough to really make it hurt. Let's get into uh, the Heat offense then. Uh, you end up putting up 113. It, it, it picked up late. Obviously, Jimmy made some jumpers. I, I don't know if that can carry over into game two, but was there anything that you wanted to see them get to offensively, Nikias, in game one uh, that you think may be available to them as the series goes on? Maybe available part is where I have a question mark, but um, Indiana did do a very good job of tracking Duncan Robinson over screens, and I think that's why he kind of he struggled to get shots within the floor of the offense. Um, his first made three was basically off of a scramble drill, and it was drifting in the right corner. But nothing – I mean, obviously a shot that he can make and has made regularly, but that isn't what he wants within the flow of the offense. And just in general, just Indy just constantly stayed in his hip. And it helped open up some other things, but Duncan never really caught a rhythm. So I wouldn't surprise me if the Heat do make more of a concerted effort to get Duncan free and get him shots early just to kind of get, just kind of get going. Um, other than that, it's just going to be making more perimeter shots because Miami did do a good job of creating open three-pointers, and they shot a little bit below their weight, which is absurd considering they still ended up putting up a, like a 122 offensive rating in game one. The fact that there is upside there should scare the life out of Indiana. Well, I also saw the numbers. Christian Hernandez put up the number that Indiana uh, shot really well on their uncontested shots, and it still didn't matter. So it, it's like they got looks and made them. The Heat got looks and didn't make them, and the Heat still won by 12. And mm -hmm. I think that's why a lot of people are having a hard time seeing this 
this be a, a series. All right, Nikias, uh, check him out at Nikias NBA. Check out Alf at Alf954. I'm at Ethan J. Skolnick and Five Reasons Sports. Also, check out our great sponsor and, and stick around. We're going to be running a promotion with Biscayne Bay Brewing. Um, I've got a ton of cases of beer right now, Alf, so I don't know why you haven't come up to Fort Lauderdale from Sunrise or down to Fort Lauderdale from Sunrise to get it. Um, Weren't you just here. in quarantine? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's here. I mean, Biscayne Bay Brewing is the official craft beer of Inter-Miami and the Miami Marlins and us, um, owned by local guys who employ people in this community to make their beer right here in South Florida. They're committed to community and support five reasons sports. And so if you want any Marlins lager, Miami pale ale or tropical Bay IPA, come by my apartment or better yet, go to all major retailers throughout South Florida. It's the beer we're drinking at five reasons sports before we close uh, prediction game two, Alf. Um, after what I saw the other, the other day, I keep saying other night, these, these, these games are having, happening in the middle of the day. Um, I think I see the heat winning this one. Um, yeah, I th- and I see them. I think I think I see them winning this one going away. Nikias, is there any? I mean, is there anything Indiana can do to stop the train? Essentially, the biggest thing for me, I think, is going to be their offense. There were a lot of possessions where you would have Duncan Robinson guarding a Malcolm Brogdon or guarding a Victor Oladipo before he got hurt, and then they would call Bam into the screen to kind of run some action with Miles Turner, and Bam switches out and just kind of swallows him up. I did not understand why that happened. Um, Cooper Moorhead, um, he pointed out that they wanted to kind of pull Bam into the play so he couldn't work as a help ender, which makes sense. But it just didn't make sense that they went away from advantages to kind of switch into disadvantages. So I think if they go more ISO when they do have a more favorable matchup, I think they'll do a little bit better offense, which may help close the gap some. But I would still anticipate the Heat win game two. All right. Well, we're going to have coverage of game two for you. It's at an odd time. It's at one o'clock. Um, so hopefully you get a chance to listen to this before then. Um, we are going to do a pregame stream on our YouTube channel and then likely going to do a, a pod at night. Uh, most likely we're going to figure something out regarding to that because uh, the NBA is not respecting work schedules right now, or um, in my case, uh, pick up at school schedules. So we're, we're going to sort that out, but check out the YouTube channel. We're getting close to 4,000 subscribers on the YouTube channel. So uh, it's starting to blow up a little bit, and you should definitely check us out there. Again, fivereasonsports.com. Check out Nikias's article. Some big outlet steal Nikias away from us uh, because uh, he, he doesn't belong with me and Alf. So it's just, he just, right, Alf? He doesn't belong with us anymore. I also belong in a, in a bigger outlet. So. Um, yes, an outlet mall. There, there's one in Palm <laughs> Beach. I was, I was just there this week. Uh, you could check out PetSmart, Ross, Old Navy. I could work. Uh, I could work retail. Uh, any, any of those are options for you. Have a good day. Have a good night, everybody. Heat game two. We'll be there for you. Thank you for listening to the Five on the Floor on the Five Regional Sports Network. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. 
So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.